Welcome to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilley. It is Wednesday, the 5th of August, and I'm joined by Jamila Rizvi, who is deep in lockdown in Melbourne. Jamila, how are you doing? Oh, look, I have to be the dreary co-host, don't I, Tom? Yeah, the dreary Melbourne correspondent. (laughs) I mean, we're doing all right, but I think things are pretty glum down here. There's a real mood of acceptance that this was where Melbourne and parts of Victoria absolutely had to be. I don't think there are people who are widely thinking what the Victorian government has done is too far. But at the same time, it's... I mean, I can't even go for a bike ride with my husband and my kid on the weekend anymore. It's mm. it's pretty harsh. Yeah, what's the worst part about it this time around? You know, I think it might be that the weather is starting to get a little bit better now and then. We've had a couple of lovely 18-degree sunny days and it's easier to self-isolate when it's horrible outside. Our hearts go out to everyone in Victoria at the moment. Uh, In a moment on the briefing, the story of a young Australian woman stuck in one of the world's worst prisons. The conditions of uh, Karchak prison are quite worrying. It's a place that um, has a reputation for extrajudicial killings, for torture. There's a problem with access to clean water. The fight to get Kylie Moore Gilbert home from Iran in just a moment on the briefing. First of the big stories of the day. In Melbourne, there are tougher fines of almost $5,000 being handed out to anyone with coronavirus who fails to self-isolate. The same rules apply to anyone they've been in close contact with. Yeah, the Victorian Premier Dan Andrews says the Australian Defence Force knocked on the doors of 3,000 people's homes to find that 800 of them who should have been isolating weren't home. Uh, The Premier says there's no excuse to go outside during those 14 days. If you are supposed to be isolating at home, then you will need to stay in your home or on your property. Fresh air at the front door, fresh air in your front yard or your backyard or opening a window, that's what you're going to have to do. Yeah, from tonight, Stage 3 begins in regional Victoria and also uh, begins the big shutdown of non-essential businesses. So supermarkets will stay open, bottle shops will as well. Others considered essential include petrol stations, banks, post offices, disability service, convenience stores. Hardware stores, uh, including Bunnings, will be open to tradespeople only. I don't care what's open and what's not right now, Tom, but those 800 people who have got coronavirus or who've been in contact that are just wandering around the city, Mm. my level of fury at them is just off the charts. Yeah, it seems like there have been a number of people in Victoria who've let the side down. They have done their best, it seems, to give people the kinds of payments they need to stay away from work and actually stay home. Um, So the excuses for not being there seem to be disappearing. And staying in Melbourne, a police officer has been viciously attacked after simply asking a woman to wear a face mask. This 38-year-old woman um, hit the head, smashed the head of a policewoman several times into a concrete area on the ground. That behaviour is just totally unacceptable. The alleged incident happened at Frankston in Melbourne's outer suburbs. The 26-year-old constable was taken to hospital with significant head injuries and a chunk of her hair was also reportedly pulled out. That's just horrible conduct. You know, it's not human-like, to be quite honest. That was the Police Association Secretary, Wayne Gatt. The accused woman has now been released on bail. It's not quite a Prince Andrew-level disaster of an interview, but President Donald Trump is copying it online after a 45-minute interview with an Australian journalist. A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you ha- it is what it is. So while being questioned about America's 159,000 coronavirus deaths, Donald Trump pulls out some charts, which he says show that America's actually doing better than the rest of the world. 
before journalist Jonathan Swan starts pulling apart these so-called facts. Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the US is really bad. Well, well, Much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't you can't do that. You have Why to go, can't I do that? you have to go by you have to go by where look, here is the United States. You have to go by the cases. Trump was also challenged about South Korea's comparatively low death rate, and he suggested that the South Koreans might be making it up and that America, widely reported to have an inadequate testing regime, is simply testing too much, Tom, too much. You know, there are those that say you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Oh, just read the manuals, read the books. Manuals? Read the books. Read the books. What books? Yeah, it's an incredible interview. Um, Jonathan Swan, the Aussie journalist for the Axios um, platform in America, did an amazing job of cutting through that misinformation because it would be so challenging. Trump just keeps coming back with fake statement after fake statement saying, check it, you know, go somewhere else and sending people to these false sources. It takes a really steady journalist to keep quietly pushing back and just sticking to those facts. And the Christmas Island Detention Centre is being reopened as Australian Border Force struggles to deport foreign criminals. They argue that border closures and very few international flights out of Australia mean that foreign criminals need to be held in that facility while they can't be sent back home. The centre was last used to quarantine Aussie citizens evacuated from Wuhan early in the pandemic and previously housed people applying for asylum who'd arrived by boat. This time, the centre's inhabitants have been convicted of assault, sexual offences, drugs and violent crimes and are considered to pose a risk to the rest of the community. All right, Jamila, we'll speak to you tomorrow. In just a moment, it's time for the story of Kylie Moore-Gilbert. Annika Smithhurst here. Now, imagine you're on a work trip overseas. You do the work, you take in some sights, you're about to get on a plane to fly home, but you're arrested. Yeah, and then almost two years later, you're still in jail, in one of the worst jails in the world. The Australian government are telling you they're doing everything they can, but your prospects seem really grim. Alone in a country whose language, culture and customs I do not understand, without friends, family or emotional support, I face being tried by a biased and corrupt revolutionary court for the ludicrous and wholly unsubstantiated charge of espionage. An innocent woman facing a lengthy prison sentence for a crime of which there's not even a shred of real evidence. That's a letter from 33-year-old Australian Kylie Moore Gilbert to the Prime Minister. Kylie is an academic who was convicted of spying in a secret trial and was sentenced to 10 years in an Iranian prison. She's living a nightmare now. Last month, she was transferred to what's been described as one of the world's worst female prisons. It's severely overcrowded and it's reportedly rife with coronavirus. COVID's so bad in Iran and Iranian prisons that they've temporarily released 100,000 inmates, including 100,000 foreigners, but not Kylie. The conditions of uh, Karchak prison are quite worrying. It's a place that is um, has a reputation for extrajudicial killings, for torture. Um, there's a problem with access to clean water. Kylie has some food intolerances. It would be really important to know that she has access to food that's not going to make her sick. That's Jessie Moritz, a fellow academic and one of Kylie's supporters. For almost two years, her friends and supporters have stayed quiet, letting the Australian government do the -the behind-the-scenes diplomacy. But now Jessie and some of Kylie's other friends and colleagues are speaking out. 
They want the government to negotiate a prisoner swap or appeal to Iranian authorities to let her out. So very much it was an academic trip, it was a work trip. What's been reported has been that she may have been um, one of her interviewees or perhaps a fellow conference attendee found the questions that she was asking. And keep in mind that academics, our job is to ask difficult, sensitive questions sometimes. Um, But they didn't like the questions that she was asking, and so they reported her to the IRGC and the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps And from that moment on, she was sort of swept up in the machinery of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Now, compared to, say, more notable cases of Aussies being locked up, like Cocaine Cassie or Chappelle Corby, we haven't actually heard much about Kylie's case until recently. And I believe that was a strategy, that the the work was being left up to, I guess, the government. Why has that changed recently? And do you think the Australian government is doing enough to get her back? I want to be very clear that I support very strongly the diplomatic strategy that the government is pursuing. That's ultimately what's going to bring Kylie home. But what I and some of my colleagues are concerned about is that so far in two years, those background negotiations have not shown to improve Kylie's situation really at all. She was kept in solitary confinement in the notorious Evan prison in Iran, Uh, since she was first arrested in late 2018. And just recently, she's been transferred to Karchak prison, which is a really worrying environment um, for her. So other former political prisoners have stated that they believe they should have seen some type of incremental improvement in Kylie's situation. And we just weren't seeing that. So we became very concerned that this quiet diplomatic process was not producing the results that it needed to. So what else could the government be doing that they're not? I mean, there's a number of different options available to them. I can't speak to what has or has not already been tried because obviously all of this is is shrouded in a great deal of secrecy. Um, But from a sort of Middle East expert perspective, um, we've evaluated the previous cases of foreign nationals held in Iran in the last 10 years. And we found that, for example, about a third of them were released via prisoner swaps. Um, There are other options as well, such as appealing for clemency from Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. One of the complications with Kylie's case and with any foreign national detained by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is that they're not directly beholden to the elected president of Iran. They're beholden to the Supreme Leader. So somehow we need to access that part of the Iranian state. And that's one of the key challenges. That was Jesse Marit, supporter of Kylie Moore Gilbert. Now let's speak directly to the government. Dave Sharma is a Liberal member for Wentworth, which is actually my local electorate. Dave Sharma is also a former Middle East diplomat. Dave Sharma, thank you for joining us. Now, we've just heard from Jesse, who is calling for a prisoner swap or a plea of clemency. You're a former diplomat and you're also a member of the Morrison government. Are they options our government could pursue? Certainly the option of, um, of clemency is, is, is one we can pursue and it's, it's one I know that the, you know, the government has been pursuing through diplomatic and other channels. Um, you know, Kylie's been there for, she's been detained now for um, over two years. She was sentenced to a, uh, 10 years, but it's not unusual and indeed Iran has in the past released foreign prisoners um, you know, much ahead of, of the time that their sentence was due to last for. So um, just earlier this year, I think Iran released a, a French national, um, a British national, an American national, all of whom have been um, convicted of very similar offences. Is there much you can say about prisoner swaps or do you have to steer clear of of any discussion about that? Well, a a prisoner swap, I'm not sure if that's 
a possibility with Iran. Normally you need to have a, a transfer of prisoners agreement with a country, which is a bilateral treaty, which we have with some countries, but I don't believe we um, we have it with Iran. That that actually, a transfer of prisoners agreement allows someone who is convicted of a sentence overseas to serve out their sentence in Australia. Now, um, a prisoner swap, that means, you know, we, we send someone over in, in return for that. I'm not aware if, that, if that's a possibility um, with Iran or not. I'm not aware of any nationals of theirs that we're holding that they want. That said, I mean, I'm, I'm not part of the government. I'm, I'm in the parliament, but um, I, that would really be a question that only the government could answer. But I'm not aware that that's been on the cards. You're a former diplomat. In fact, you were ambassador to Israel from 2013 to 2017. So you understand the sort of diplomatic backroom discussions that can happen. I wondered if you could tell us what our relationship with Iran is like. Do we have a relationship and how can we use that to our advantage? Look, we do have a diplomatic relationship um, with Iran and a number of um, sort of other Western countries don't. The United States has not had one since the Iranian Revolution in, in 1979. The British have one, but it tends to be testy and I don't believe they've actually got a, a functioning embassy operating there at the moment and um, Canada similar but we've we've got a functioning embassy we've got an ambassador iran also has an ambassador stationed here in canberra so we have what you'd be described as as normal diplomatic relations with this country we trade with iran um we certainly have traded with them in the past there have been iranian students who've come to australia um and studied here uh, as well um obviously there are parts of you know iran's policies particularly um in the region it's support to certain um, groups. It's um, pursuit of a nuclear weapons program that have been concerning to us, and we've spoken out about those uh, in the past. But that said, you know, you do have points of difference with, with other countries. And um, with Iran, we do have normal diplomatic relations, which means our ambassador can go in and speak to them. Our embassy over there have, have been the ones who've been, who've been visiting Kylie um, in prison and checking on her welfare and those sorts of things. So what do we know about her welfare? Um, as an ambassador, how often do you, would she be getting access to see the ambassador or other people within the embassy? If an Aussie gets in trouble overseas, what sort of help can they expect in these situations? Look, it, it does very much depend upon the country in which they're being held. And this is, you know, it's, it's, it can be a hard thing for us to grapple with as, as Australians. But, you know, when an Australian is detained and imprisoned overseas, we're really at the mercy of that country's, you know, prison system and, and justice system and whatnot. And things that we might not think would be acceptable here in Australia, um, we have to tolerate overseas and, and work with those systems. So the role of our consular staff overseas at embassies is to, to check on the welfare of prisoners um, you know, do their best to make sure that they're, they're getting access to legal counsel, that they're able to communicate with their family through letters or phone calls or uh, whatever it might be, um, that their health is being looked after and those sorts of things. But we only get access to these prisoners when, you know, the host country is, is prepared to grant that to us. We, we can't sort of walk in there as a right and demand it. So this is always a negotiation Um but in all these situations, because she's being held by a foreign government under their laws, under their system of justice, under their courts, it's relying upon their their agreement to, to do any of these sorts of things. Dave Sharma, it's a pretty desperate situation. She's in one of the, the worst prisons in the world. There's COVID outbreaks right across Iran. They've even released 100,000 prisoners, they say, for that reason. Clearly, her family and her friends must be feeling so desperate for the situation she's in. And and, and when I asked you about a, a prisoner swap or a transfer before, you said, you know, you weren't a member of the, the cabinet and you, you weren't sure if that was the right way to go. I, I imagine that would be a pretty 
unsatisfying answer for her family. Can you assure us that the government is actually doing everything in its power to get her out? Yeah, look, I can absolutely assure you that the government is doing everything in its power to get her out. I mean, I, I have spoken about this, you know, with members of the government. I know that um, they are leaving no stone unturned in their efforts. Often in these cases, a lot goes on behind the scenes and for good reason. It's, it's kept out of the public domain because it can make the negotiations harder, not easier. Um, but I know a lot of effort has been um, going into her case uh, since she was since she was first detained. Um, the family is being, you know, kept well informed of these efforts. I understand, um, and you know, they've chosen, and I think there's good reasons for it up until this point to, you know, keep the media profile around this story relatively low. So she's in there accused of being a spy. Are you able to, on her behalf, assure the Iranian government that she is not a spy? I mean, I'm not able to personally, but from what I understand of what we know of the charges, uh, we do think they're they're baseless. Uh, she's been convicted of sort of national security offences. Um, from what I understand, the the trial was conducted um, behind closed doors in secret. We weren't um, uh, able to access you know, the evidence that they presented against her, um, and her own access to legal representation to contest those charges um, is in is in some doubt as well. So. Certainly, um, Kylie maintains her innocence, and I know the government maintains that the charges against her are baseless. That's Dave Sharma, federal liberal politician. Now, if you want to help Kylie, there is a website to go to. It's called freekylie.net, and there's a great range of ways you can help. They're encouraging people to talk to your MP. There's a template up there. Get in touch with your local newspaper, write a letter to the editor, and, of course, sign a petition. Tomorrow on the podcast, we take a deep dive on the curfews that people in Melbourne are living under at the moment. You can't go out of your house after 8pm or before 5am. We'll ask, do they work? A Podcast One production.